That was eight years ago. Looking at Colton now, you would have never guessed that he almost died in 2003. His father, Todd, tells about Colton's near-death experience in the book, Heaven is for Real. And he started throwing up into the toilet, you know, and uh, at first we're like, okay, he's got the stomach flu because the doctor said it was going around. Colton's condition only got worse as days passed. His doctor discovered his appendix had burst and infection was spreading in his body. Time was running out. Then we knew we were in bad shape when they, they said, well, you need to come out to the hallway. They separated us from everyone else, and then someone came to us and started talking to us that uh, we got to have surgery on your kid. It was tough. Um, seeing your boy be lifeless when he was a very vibrant child. And it was at that moment that we were looking at each other. I remember my wife holding Colton in that hallway, just us. He's not even moving. We went to the surgery prep area, and I remember them hauling him away and him just yelling at me, Daddy, don't let him take me. Daddy, don't let him take me. And I went back to the, uh, uh, the pre-op room where we had left some stuff, and I was finally alone, shut the door, and I just broke down, and I was mad at God. I just frustrated, fed up. And I remember telling him, I said, God, after all I've done for you, and now you're going to take my kid? This is how you treat your pastors. You know, I was calling our prayer chain. I was calling anybody that would be on the other line to get Colton on the prayer chain because it was bad. We were there in the waiting room for an hour and a half, maybe. Then I remember the nurse coming out. Uh, is Colton's daddy out here? I'm like, yeah, well, Colton's a, a, a in recovery and he's screaming for you. And I'm sitting there with him. And I remember my son in that room then looking up at me and goes, Dad, do you know I almost died? And my first thought was, maybe you overheard the nurse say that, or maybe they thought he was under anesthesia, you know, and, and he wasn't. But it wasn't until four months after we got out of the hospital that we finally listened to our son. And that's where I got to see heaven. No, Jesus and some angels came and flew me up to heaven. And I said, so Colton, what did Jesus look like? I knew that the first person I saw was Jesus. He was wearing white robes with a purple sash, and he just came down nicely and gracefully. Well, Dad, Jesus has markers. Dad, Jesus has markers. I didn't know what he meant, so I finally asked the right question. Colton, where are Jesus' markers? And he drops his toys down, and he stands up, and he just points, Dad, they were right here. He takes his fingers, points to the palms, then he bends over and touches the tops of his feet looks up to me, that's where Jesus' markers were, Dad. When I was in the throne room of God to start with, so I got to see what that looked like. I was upset because I didn't know what was happening. What God did is he used people that, people or things that I liked to calm me down. From there on, I felt better. And one day we're traveling together and he looks up at me and, Dad, you used to have a grandpa named Pop, didn't you? I'm like, yeah. 
He's really nice. Really? Yeah, you used to play with him as a kid and fix, work with him on the farm and, and shoot stuff with him. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know that? Well, he told me. A figure came up and he was Pop. He asked me, are you Todd's son? I said, yes. He said that he was his grandpa. So that's where I met him. Yeah, Pop, uh, I was very close to him. And he was my most significant male role model when I was a kid growing up. Kid, but he was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. Um, I was busy paying bills again, because um, that's um, my job. And he came up and told me he had two sisters. Well, he had to say it several times before he finally got my attention. And finally, I put myself down and looked at him and says, what do you mean you have two si sisters? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby dying your tummy. And I just looked at him like, well, how do you know you have two sisters? Well, she told me. And then he proceeded to describe her. She looked like Cassie, but she had brown hair. And first time when she saw me, she just came up and hugged me. We knew this was true because he said she kept hugging me. She wouldn't stop hugging me, Mom, and I didn't like that. Well, I'm not really the hugging type. I had miscarried the weekend of Father's Day weekend, which made it even rougher. And we thought we'd dealt with it. We got never accepted that the baby had died. But when he said he had two sisters, I was... I think I was in shock first and then trying to realize what is he telling me and so I knew that he had seen her and after he described her and he says she's she just waiting for you guys to come to heaven you know as we talked about heaven and he was telling me all these wonderful details I just felt like I had to ask him did he want to come back I knew that I was leaving heaven because Jesus came to me and said Colton you need to go back even though I didn't want to go back, he said that he was answering my dad's prayer. I remember that prayer. That irreverent, that disrespectful, screaming at God prayer. <laughs> I was like, he's answering that prayer? Today, Colton is a healthy 11-year-old and shares his heavenly journey with boldness. I learned that heaven is for real and you're going to like it. Have you ever wondered if heaven is for real? Well, after a brush with death, a young boy may have the answers millions of us are looking for. Was his vision real or something he dreamed? Well, you can decide for yourself. Natalie Tisdale tells us why people are so interested in this little boy from Nebraska. I remember Jesus there are streets of gold and a lot of colors. I sat in Jesus' lap and then I felt just safe. It sounded like a story dreamed up by a little boy. But to understand what Colton Burpo said, you have to hear what he did. It all started on a trip to Colorado. Colton complained of a stomach ache, a trip to the doctor, diagnosis, the flu. Back home to Nebraska, another doctor, still no improvement. Colton went downhill fast. As parents, we felt sick. 
you know, what we, we could have done different. Man, we did this wrong. Turns out for five days he suffered, misdiagnosed. The then three-year-old had a ruptured appendix. While in surgery, his parents, Todd and Sonia, prayed in separate rooms. They thought they had lost him. Miraculously, after a difficult recovery, Colton survived, but his story is far from over. There were things Colton did and things he said after the surgery that were out of the ordinary, but until a drive past the hospital four months after his surgery, none of it made sense. His dad jokingly asked Colton if he wanted to go back to the hospital. His response? But you know, Dad, and he looks at me in the mirror, I'm looking at him, he says, the angels, they sang to me while I was there. I remember looking in the mirror and he's just dead serious. Colton's story about heaven was about to begin. I look at my wife and she looks at me and it's like, has he spoken to you? She's like, no. Her eyes are about probably as big as mine and I'm sitting here going, he's never talked to me about angels before. While in heaven, Colton says he saw many things and met many people, including Pop, his great-grandfather who died 30 years before Colton was born. But Colton says he didn't look like the photo in his house. A picture sent months later by his grandmother was more like the man he met, a young man without glasses. And perhaps the most shocking part of Colton's story. Stands right in front of his mom and is like, Mom, I have two sisters. But he only has one sister. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you, Mom? His parents never told him about the miscarriage. She looked familiar, and then she started giving me hugs and telling me that she was glad to have someone from her family up there. Over time, this young man's visions became more real, from his description of Jesus to his talks with God, even a discussion about Armageddon. I actually got a glimpse of it. Now, how does a kid make that up? The Burpo family accepted and embraced their little boy's unbelievable story. Todd Burpo is a pastor here in Imperial, Nebraska, population 1800. Many people here know about Colton's story. In fact, they've encouraged Todd to write a book about it. He did. Here it is. It's a New York Times bestseller. It wasn't something Todd wanted to do or even knew how to do, but he did exactly what he did the night Colton laid on that table near death. He prayed. God, if this is really you, I kind of laid my fleece out and I said, you know, I, I don't know how to publish a book, but if you really want me to do this, you're going to have to have the publishing industry find me. And it wasn't long before that actually happened. So far, a half a million books have been printed. Bookstores across the country are trying to get more copies. They're on ebook readers, audio tape. There's even talk of a movie. It's a lot for this small town family. We never imagined it to go where it is. There's a piece I've come to know. As for Colton, he's a pretty straightforward 11-year-old. He likes music. He wrestles. And he prays to the God he describes as God, he's the biggest one in heaven. He can hold the earth in his hands. I don't know why God picked us. Uh, we're just normal people, but God did a remarkable miracle for us. Natalie Tisdall, Fox 31 News. Wow. So, what do you think? You know what? I think that little kids can't make up some things. I'll tell you what. I believe it for one reason. He, this is the latest in a long line of stories I've heard, starting with my own mother, who had a near-death experience. Yeah, absolutely. And said to me when I was a little kid, basically the same thing. And I've heard many stories like that. It's, in the, it's, I, it's I, amazing. Who are we to I, say it, it, it's... No, absolutely. And I, I want to hear more from the yeah. little boy. That's a fascinating story. Have to get the book. That is a great story. Great.
I want you to meet um, Todd and Colton Burpo. Burpo. Yes. I, I thought I was right, but I thought maybe I was wrong. Burpo. Yep. This is Colton. And what a handshake this guy's got. And Todd is dead. And Colton just gave me this uh, yellow wristband. I asked him what it was for, because sometimes it's for veterans and, you know, many causes. And, and it's Heaven is for Real, which is the title of this book. And there's a picture of a, a somewhat younger Colton. <laughs> uh, and, and his dad, of course, is with us. And this, this young man has been to Heaven. He can tell us what it's like. Uh, he was not taught in advance what it was like. There's no way, he, when he was four years old, that he had been indoctrinated in some way. So, Todd, tell us what happened to this young guy first. Well, we were on a, um, what we thought was a trip to kind of celebrate. I'd had a rough year. I had a broken leg, a mastectomy myself, and, and lots of other things. I couldn't work, and we were going away to celebrate the end of my time of testing. And Colton got sick. He got a real high fever. And the um, doctor gave him some medicine. His fever went down. There was a stomach flu going around. Uh, and while we were gone, then sister got sick too. Then they both got sick again. They were both, one was heaving in the toilet, the other one in the, in, in the bathtub in the in motel. That was, that was a really fun night. <laughs> but then the sister got better, but he didn't. And he continued to, to start throwing up he bile. Was four. He was almost four, about almost. three years old and ten months. And uh, he started throwing up about every 30 minutes, and it started to become an ordeal. It just wasn't a sickness. It, uh, we rushed him back to the doctor, and they thought it was still the stomach flu. And at this time, we started having our concerns. Uh, and then for two more days, he continued. Um, now, I'm also a pastor, and one of the things that uh, I, I have to do, uh, and sometimes you get to do, but it's difficult to be beside the bedsides of people as they're breathing yeah. their last oh. and you can watch the telltale signs that they're slipping away you see they are and when i saw that in my son oh. his body starting to shrivel his skin color starting oh. to change his eyes getting back and he's in his his head and the circles around it oh. his mother and i we were terrified yeah and finally I, we I remember reading she said i think this is it yeah we, we, we quickly took him out of our little community hospital, took him to a, a regional medical center. They did a CAT scan, and uh, I remember them taking us out in the hallway, you know, separating us from everyone else. And uh, you know it's not going to be good news then. Yeah. And I remember sitting there in this hallway where no one's around. Here's my wife, and here's my, my, my son just laying in her arms. Mm -hmm. He's not even moving. Mm. Yeah. And tears are streaming down her face and mine. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we realize how serious things yeah, are. Yeah. You're at death's door. They, they come to us, say he has to have emergency surgery. His appendix is ruptured. And hindsight's 20-20. We probably, the doctors think his appendix had probably been ruptured about five days at that point. Wow. And so um, when he went into that first surgery, I remember asking the, the surgeon, I think, Every parent, every loved one's grasping for hope. Is he going to be yeah. okay? Yeah. And the doctor said nothing. And um, I remember they, they, they tried to, in the pre-op room, put a, uh, an IV in him. But they couldn't because he was so dehydrated, they couldn't even get a vein. 
And uh, so the doctor decided that, okay, instead of trying to, to contain him and he was fighting them and resisting, they take him back to surgery, put gas on him. So he was not unconscious as they wheeled him away, and he's screaming, Daddy. Yeah. Daddy, make him stop. Daddy, Calling don't let him you. do this oh, to me, Daddy. Man. And, and um, not only was I afraid, but I was helpless. You know, as a dad, you're supposed to be the protector and the provider. Yeah. yeah. And all that had been ripped away from me. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I can tell you that was my lowest low I have ever lived. Yeah. And um, I think at that moment, you know, I was just too. We're we're not afforded the privilege of losing it like other people sometimes. Yeah. We're measured. And um, I had a chance to slip away and go back in the pre-op room and I shut the door, pulled the curtains. And I remember just letting God have it. Yeah. I was so mad and I yeah. was mad at God. Yeah. And I just told him, I said, is this how you treat your pastors? I've had this terrible year. I've tried to serve you faithfully and now you're going to take my son. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just let God have it. It's yeah. probably the most disrespectful, dishonoring prayer I ever prayed. Yeah. And, um, Which he understood. But I picked myself back up, joined my wife out in, 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 the, in the waiting room, and used up both of our cell phone batteries calling people. We were, yeah. we were sounding the alarm. I was mad at God, but I sure hadn't given up on God. Uh -huh. And um, it's like, God is still, you know, my best shot. Yeah. And... Um, we, we used up our batteries and yeah. uh, calling people, asking our church family, pray, will you please pray? We, we have an emergency, pray. And then uh, little did we know how big of a miracle God did for us mm. at that time. Now, he went into the surgery, he recovered, they had to have a second surgery, right? And it was while he was recovering, and I like the part, we won't get into it in detail, but <laughs> after having this interior surgery, one of the best signs that he might recover is when he could pass gas. Yeah. Now we can laugh, but but uh, if you can't and you have to, <laughs> yeah. that's bad. But but you were so thrilled when that happened. I mean, I've read every word of this book, and uh, and everybody should. Now let's talk to to Colton because Colton, uh, you began to answer questions. I think the first time you mentioned heaven, I think you 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 went by the hospital. And Todd, you asked him if he remembered that. He was four. Yeah. And what'd you say? No, I don't want to go back. Send my sister Cassie and, you know, sibling rivalry with yeah. all that. <laughs> but he asked if you remembered it, and you said, yeah, that's where... The angels sang to me. The angels sang to me. And you nearly ran off the road. You were driving. What do you, yeah. And, of course, you began to query him now, ask him what... what what are you talking about? Can you give us a little of that? That was our wake-up moment. I think, you know, you see, while we were in the hospital with Colton, in 17 days, I went back after and counted. I had five nights of sleep. I mean, we were exhausted emotionally, physically, and um, it took us a while to put our life back together. He was saying things to us, and we talk about it in the book, but he grabbed our attention when he said the angels sang to him, you yeah. know. Uh, because we normally don't talk about angels. Now, we have Bible study time and story time. We talk about Jesus. We yeah. pray. But when he was just so definite that the angels sang to him, I remember looking at my wife, and her eyes are probably about as big as mine. I'm like, 
He talked to you about angels before. She hadn't talked to me about angels before. And all of a sudden, we realized maybe we missed something. And so I start questioning Colton, what did they sing? And he told me. Mm -hmm. Then he adds to it, he says, well, Dad. You, he told you some actual songs, yeah. didn't he? What were they, Colton? Jesus loved me, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, which were songs that I knew. That you knew. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a welcome thing for you. You knew those songs. When you, were they singing just one song at a time? You heard maybe what Don Piper said. He heard all the singing too. Were they, was it just one song at a time or were there several songs going on at once? I really can't remember that part, but, but you I picked remember. out the ones that yeah. you knew. Yeah, there probably were others, but the, you obviously heard, like on the day of Pentecost, each man heard in his own language. Yeah. <laughs> that, that too is yeah. very scriptural. But now he starts talking to you about other things and people that he saw, and he mentioned John the Baptist. Do you remember all this real clearly now? Um, it's I, you may not have known it was John the Baptist, but now I guess you did. You said he was very nice. Did you know he was John the Baptist? Um, yeah, I did. And yet, at four, you didn't know anything about John the Baptist, did you? But you said he was, you said he was Jesus' cousin. That's you described him as Jesus' cousin. You didn't call him John the Baptist, no. did you? Now, at four, do you think he had ever been taught that John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus? Well, you know, is there a possibility in a Bible story or a Sunday school class? Maybe, but as Jesus' cousin, you know, I think he would have probably been taught John the Baptist. Yeah. But that connection was so yeah. important to him. And then he goes on, and Dad, he's just really nice. Now, I know he didn't get that. Present tense. Yes. He's, he is okay. very nice. You still remember him clearly? Nice man, John the Baptist. That's what I thought. <laughs> now, also, your great-granddad, who you knew nothing about, did he? Did he know well, anything at all again, about? Again, that'd be a person very little he would have known about. And, at that uh, age? Yeah. You know, again, you call maybe... call him what? Pop? Yeah. Yeah. Pop. That's your grandfather's dad, Todd's grandfather's dad. And, and he was also a nice guy. You were meeting a lot of nice people, weren't you? And then Jesus and God. Tell us about Jesus. Tell us about God that you remember. Well, with Jesus, he has a rough, kind face and sea blue eyes, which are really pretty, and a smile that lit up the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> and in the book, you, you don't spend a lot of time describing God, but you simply said he is big. big. <laughs> and that was your impression. I mean, do you, did you remember any facial characteristics or were you that close to him? Um, you really couldn't see his face since he was so big, but he was just this huge angel with massive wings and, and, he, and he had a throne I think you saw him his throne and you saw a throne next to him and whose throne was that on his right side it was Jesus and on his left side it was Gabriel now now you'd never been taught this either had he Todd well, You've never you know, been taught that, anything yeah. about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, as the Bible describes it? Well, again, that would have been something, if he picked up, it would have been simply by happenstance. But he, when he was describing that to me in his bedroom, it was like he was standing right there. Yeah. You know, he didn't get that from a Sunday school teacher. Mm -mm. Because then, as he's describing how Jesus sits right next to God the Father, he jumps right ahead and he says, And Dad, I sit by God the Holy Spirit. 
Do you know God's three persons, Dad? He tells you. Yeah. yeah. Now, he got to keep remembering he's four years old. And he's like, see, he's a very intelligent young man. But he's saying things he had no reason to be aware of or to know. And then he began to, to tell you about uh, another young lady that you met. Who's that? My sister. Your sister, not the living sister. One that you didn't even know had existed, right? Who had been, what, she died in, in, in your mom's womb? Yeah. And We'd had a miscarriage uh, in between Cassie and Colton. And um, I think a lot of ladies deal with miscarriage differently. It, it, for a lot of ladies, especially like for my wife, it was a private hurt. She doubted herself. She questioned herself. Did she do something wrong? Did she eat something wrong? And it was something that she didn't share with a lot of people. Only a very few close friends knew that she had yeah. gone through the pain of miscarriage. And certainly never shared it with... with well, how do you explain to a little three-year-old that babies die in their mommy's tummies without yeah. just scaring them to death? They're just yeah. not really ready for that. Yeah. And he comes bouncing into the living room one day, walks up to his mom and says, Mom, I have two sisters. And she leans forward going, your, your cousin, your friend, what are you talking about? And he just looks right at her and says, you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you, Mom? And all of a sudden, you know, she just gets real serious. Who told you that? Well, she told me that. She told me she died in your tummy. He's talking to his sister. Oh, yeah, he talked. His, his sister told him. He turns yeah. to walk away. Mom then explodes. You know, Colton Todd Burple, you get back here right now. You don't yeah. tell me something like that and walk away. And much, much more loud than that. And I remember Colton looking at me like, Dad, help. And I'm like, you are so on your own. <laughs> and because uh, we're in shock. You know, you're like... Yeah. And he, he, he tiptoes back to his mom this time. It's like, it's okay, mom. It's okay. God adopted her. She's okay. And I remember her getting on her knees and putting her hands on his shoulders and looking him in the face and saying, you mean Jesus adopted her? And he just sits there and shakes his head. No, his dad did. Yeah. And then she asked him, well, what does she look like? Well, well, mom, she looks a lot like Cassie, except she's got brown hair instead of blonde hair. Cassie's kind of blonde, and she's getting darker now. She's not quite as big as Cassie, but almost. But Mom, she just wouldn't stop hugging me. She just hugged me all the time. She just wouldn't quit hugging me because she was so happy that someone in her family was in heaven with her. And then he looks up at me and says, Dad, and I told her that when you get to heaven, you'll give her a hug because you always give your kids hugs. And by that time, I mean, the tears are just streaming down both of our faces. And Mom's like, well, what's her name? What's her name? And Colton's like, well... I don't remember, Dad. I don't remember, Mom. You never gave her a name. You see, my, my wife miscarried at two months along, so we yeah. didn't know if it was uh, a boy right. or a girl. Right. And at that moment, if you'd asked us if we had dealt with that hurt, we would have probably told you we had because we conceived yeah. Colton. We had the joy and pleasure of yeah. not raising our child, and we thought we'd moved on. But, boy, we had a hurt that was still there. Yeah. And, boy, God really touched us and gave us an incredible peace at that moment through our son. Mm. And I think a lot of people are kind of experiencing some of that same peace when they hear Colton's story. If Colton really had a supernatural encounter, I certainly didn't want to ask him leading questions. We had taught Colton about our faith all his life. But if he had really seen Jesus and the angels, I wanted to become the student, not the teacher. Sitting at my makeshift desk, I looked over at my son as he brought Spider-Man pouncing down on some nasty-looking creatures from Star Wars. Hey, Colton, I said, 
Remember when we were in the car and you talked about sitting on Jesus' lap? Still on his knees, he looked up at me. Yeah? Well, did anything else happen? He nodded, eyes bright. Did you know that Jesus has a cousin? Jesus told me his cousin baptized him. Yes, you're right, I said. The Bible says Jesus' cousin's name is John. Mentally, I scolded myself. Don't offer information, just let him talk. I don't remember his name, Colton said happily, but he was really nice. John the Baptist is nice? Just as I was processing the implications of my son's statement that he had met John the Baptist, Colton spied a plastic horse among his toys and held it up for me to look at. Hey, Dad, did you know Jesus has a horse? A horse? Yeah, a rainbow horse. I got to pet him. There's lots of colors. Lots of colors? What was he talking about? Where are there lots of colors, Colton? In heaven, Dad. That's where all the rainbow colors are. That set my head spinning. Suddenly, I realized that up until that point, I had been toying with the idea that maybe Colton had had some sort of divine visitation. Maybe Jesus and the angels had appeared to him in the hospital. I'd heard of similar phenomena many times when people were as near to death as Colton had been. Now, it was dawning on me that not only was my son saying he had left his body, he was saying that he had left the hospital. You were in heaven? I managed to ask. Well, yeah, Dad, he said, as if that fact should have been perfectly obvious. I had to take a break. I stood and bounded up the stairs, picked up the phone, and dialed Sonia's cell. She picked up and I could hear music and singing in the background. Do you know what your son just said to me? What? she shouted over the noise. He told me he met John the Baptist. What? I summarized the rest for her and could hear the amazement in her voice on the other end of the line. She tried to press me for details, but the worship conference hall was too loud. Finally, we had to give up. Call me tonight after dinner, okay? Sonia said. I want to know everything. I hung up and leaned against the kitchen counter, processing. Slowly, I began to wrap my mind around the possibility that this was real. Had our son died and come back? The medical staff never gave any indication of that. But clearly, something had happened to Colton. He had authenticated that by telling us things he couldn't have known. It dawned on me that maybe we'd been given a gift, and that our job now was to unwrap it, slowly, carefully, and see what was inside. Back downstairs, Colton was still on his knees, bombing aliens. I sat down beside him. Hey, Colton, can I ask you something else about Jesus? He nodded, but didn't look up from his devastating attack on a little pile of X-Men. What did Jesus look like? I said. Abruptly, Colton put down his toys and looked up at me. Jesus has markers. What? Markers, Daddy. Jesus has markers, and he has brown hair and he has hair on his face, he said, running his tiny palm around on his chin. I guess that he didn't yet know the word beard. And his eyes, oh, Dad, his eyes are so pretty. As he said this, Colton's face grew dreamy and far away, as if enjoying a particularly sweet memory. What about his clothes? 
Colton snapped back into the room and smiled at me. He had purple on. As he said this, Colton put his hand on his left shoulder, moved it across his body down to his right hip, then repeated the motion. His clothes were white, but it was purple from here to here. Another word he didn't know. Sash. Jesus was the only one in heaven who had purple on, Dad. Did you know that? In scripture, purple is the color of kings. A verse from the Gospel of Mark flashed through my mind. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And he had this gold thing on his head, Colton chirped on enthusiastically. He put both hands on top of his head in the shape of a circle. Like a, a crown? Yeah, a crown. And it had this this diamond thing in the middle of it, and it was kind of pink. And he has markers, Dad. My mind reeled. Here I thought I was leading my child gently down this conversational path, but instead he'd grabbed the reins and galloped away. Images from scripture tumbled through my mind. The Christophany, or manifestation of Christ in the book of Daniel, the appearance of the King of Kings in Revelation. I was amazed that my son was describing Jesus in pretty much human terms, then amazed that I was amazed since our whole faith revolves around the idea that man is made in God's image and Jesus both came to earth and returned to heaven as a man. I knew by heart all the Bible stories we'd read him over the years, many from the Arch series, Bible storybooks I'd had as a child. And I knew our church's Sunday school lessons and how simplified they are in the preschool years. Jesus loves you. Be kind to others. God is good. If you could get a preschooler to take away just one three or four word concept on Sunday mornings, that was a huge accomplishment. Now here was my kid in his matter-of-fact preschooler voice telling me things that were not only astonishing on their face, but that also matched scripture in every detail, right down to the rainbow colors described in the book of Revelation, which is hardly preschool material. And as he babbled, Colton asked me, his pastor dad, every so often, Did you know that? And I'm thinking, yeah, but how do you know it? For Oasis Audio, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Todd Burpo is on the telephone with me. Todd is the dad behind the book, Heaven is for Real, a little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. And I want to tell you, uh, Todd, anyone who hears the prologue to your book and doesn't get a chill, I think they better check their own pulse, frankly. I mean, this is an incredible story. It's one that's impacted our lives. You know, one of the things that people probably don't understand as we tell this story is just the daunting pain that we went through watching our son suffer. And then all of a sudden, just the excitement we started to experience as he started telling us things that he saw. And the whole emotional up and down of the story has taken a toll on us. At times it's been uh, painful. At times it's just been exhilarating. And um, so we just want to try and share that with people. Mm -hmm. Let's get a timeline here. How long ago did uh, this medical emergency happen in your son Colton's life? Well, this has been over seven plus years ago, getting close to eight now, when he had his appendicitis. So how old is he now? He's 11, just turned 11. 
And at that age, in having the experience he's had of actually dying and going to heaven and coming back to life again, I mean, what does he say about it now as an 11-year-old? Well, he continues to speak about heaven. And his, um, his stories sometimes become richer because he's uh, able to describe things better. You know, his vocabulary has increased. And yet sometimes, too, some of his memories have become more vague, and he doesn't remember some things as well as others. I think as we age, we get older, and maybe don't remember quite everything as clear as we did when we were young as he was, you know, almost four when he had his experience. Mm-hmm. And so we as a family, we continue to talk, and we, we, we talk about it constantly just because uh, we don't want him to forget. In the car that night, when Colton said to you and your wife, that's where the angels sang to me, describe that moment for me. Well, I guess there's some moments where just time kind of stops. And, and that was one of those things. I remember looking at my wife, and um, he had talked about the doctor. He had made uh, inferences to things that he saw and how Jesus had told him to be nice. And we had never stopped and questioned, okay, what did we miss? When he talked about angels, I think both my wife and I looked at each other and realized, okay, we missed something. And it could have been big. <laughs> and, and that was the reaction we had. I have at least a hundred questions I want to ask you, Todd, but I'm going to let the book speak for itself because every time I started to ask myself a question, you answered it in the book, frankly. And, and when I began to find myself getting a little skeptical about the story, suddenly you would tell an incident where Colton just, I mean, you didn't prompt him about these stories about heaven. I mean, he came up with this stuff as an eyewitness, right? He would just volunteer information at different times. He would say things. He'd interject conversations. He'd make comments. Trying to listen to a child speak, sometimes as parents, you don't understand what they're trying to say. And we had really had to stop and improve our listening skills. Okay, our son's trying to say something to us and, and something that we don't comprehend. But rather than us lead him and, and try to impose our uh, preconceptions on him we just have to sit there be quiet let him speak say what he wants to say and just kind of end it there because i think sometimes you know children uh, they, they agree with their parents and okay well if that's what you think mom and dad that's what i think too and well we didn't want to do that to our son because he's the one with the information and we discovered very quickly and we didn't want to color that information and so we had to get very good at just listening and then just kind of absorbing and computing what he said after the fact without trying to lead him or get him to kind of change details, just accept as he shared. So did you come to the conclusion pretty quickly that he wasn't just regurgitating facts that he'd learned in Sunday school or when you told him Bible stories, he actually did see the things he said he saw? There are some things you can see a kid try to invent, and then there are some things they just absolutely cannot invent. Like when he was telling us where we were while he was in surgery. How can a kid invent that and be right? I mean, you know he's under anesthesia. <laughs> you know he's in surgery. And he says, yeah, I can see you, and this is where you were. And he's telling us the right information. I, I had to sit there and say, how in the world is that possible? And then when he started talking about uh, our miscarriage that we'd never told him about, uh, how can a kid invent that? He said he saw his little sister who was never born because she miscarried, your wife miscarried. He said he saw her and he didn't know about her? He never, we'd never told him we had a miscarriage. 
And uh, for him to all of a sudden start talking about her, and when he told his mommy, you know, he goes, Mom, you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? And when he's telling us stuff like this that we know it's right, and we said, well, son, how do you know that? Well, she told me she died in your tummy. We know that that didn't come from us. When he starts talking about my grandfather, you know, I, I had a grandfather I was really close to, but he was killed in a car wreck before I turned seven. And when he could start sharing information about him, and then even at, later on, and we write about this in the book, recognize a picture of him when he was 29 that he never saw before. How does a kid make that stuff up? Even in his wildest imagination, he can't make that kind of thing up, can he? Exactly. I mean, this is stuff that is uninventable. A kid can't even dream this stuff up. He either knows it or he doesn't. And on things like that, that he proved to us that he just knew this stuff, then we, by faith, started accepting the rest of these other descriptions because we, we could tell that his, his explanation to me over and over again, I said, I'm like, Colton, how do you know that? And he says, well, Dad, I saw it. And that's just what he'd tell me over and over again, I saw it. And to me, that was the only explanation that finally made sense. He saw it. As these details unfolded, were you and your wife hesitant to talk to other people about what you were learning from him? Yeah, I mean, we had to process the information ourselves first. And then as we processed it, we kind of shared it in bits and pieces because it came out in bits and pieces. You know, um, the story unfolded over months and years because, I don't know, we didn't know what questions to ask. We didn't know what he'd seen, what he hadn't seen. And we were kind of just a victim of whatever he would share or wouldn't share. And uh, we, we, we couldn't lead these conversations. He only... He was in control of the heaven conversations. When he decided to volunteer information, that's when we received it, and we just kind of went from there. And I get the feeling from reading your book and hearing the audio version that he does so in a sort of -of matter-of-fact way, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Colton, even today, is just my serious black-and-white kid. He always has been, and he still is. You talk to his teachers. Boy, he's just such a serious kid. And he is. And so this is how it is, black-white. There's no gray with him, and... There you go. And he just kind of goes on, tells you what he wants to tell you, and and, and then you're left with, okay, figuring it out afterwards, mm-hmm. you know. So he's in school as we're talking about it today, right? Yes, he's in school today, but I'm sure he'd much rather be somewhere else. <laughs> he's, unfortunately, he's just like his dad in that respect. I, I, I was always probably a good student, but I didn't care for school itself much at all. You know what? He sounds like a pretty typical 11-year-old, despite what he's been through. Oh, yeah, and that's something else, too, that uh, in this whole story, this, this whole sequence of events that we uh, share in the book, uh, many times, you know, I, I've had to ask the question, why us? You know, why did this happen to our family? Why did we walk down this road? Why, why did we uh, live this ordeal and this blessing kind of wrapped up together? And uh, one of the things I, I can definitely tell you, it wasn't because of us. You know, we're still a normal family. Um, he, he still fights with his brother and his sister. Uh, he sure doesn't have perfect parents. You know, we struggle with uh, a business, finances, uh, parenting, all those normal issues. But uh, we, I just come to accept that even though this wasn't because of us, this is what God did, and this was because of him as to why we've gone through this. Because I hope that people really understand this story is about him and what he did. Uh, we just were kind of an audience to what happened. Mm-hmm. You said it was both an ordeal and a blessing. What way was it an ordeal? 
Well, to watch your son suffer like I did, that is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I can't tell you. Uh, I've, I've had some physical ailments. Uh, I've gone through kidney stones, which are real painful, broken legs. I, I had a mastectomy. I know as guys uh, that you're not supposed to have that surgery. I always thought that was the lady's surgery, you know. Mm-hmm. But it happens, doesn't it? And I've had, I've had some, I don't know, struggles of my own. But none of them even came close to being as painful as watching that little guy suffer. And that's where the ordeal part really came in. Describe the blessing. Well, I think when we knew that God had touched him and we left the hospital and he, and he was whole and, and he was healed, it was kind of like, it was, just a, it was a relief. And, and we knew that God had answered prayer. But then, especially when he started talking about his, his sister in heaven, uh, I think that was a real blessing to us. Because we, we kind of gone on past the, uh, the miscarriage. We thought we had healed from that. Colton was born, and our, our attention shifted to raising the new little one rather than mourning over the one that we lost. If you'd probably asked me before he brought up the fact that he saw his sister in heaven, I would have told you we had probably dealt with that pain. And, boy, he touched a sore spot. It was still tender. And, God, it's really amazing. We have healed tremendously now that I know I have a daughter that's looking forward to being reunited with me in heaven. How God used almost the loss of my son to go back and touch a hurt that I still had and that's just been, um, I don't know, the grace of God there and just to have that healing in our lives, especially in my wife's life. I think a miscarriage really, um, I don't know, attacks a woman uh, more than it does the father. Because, you know, my wife struggled. Well, did I do something wrong? Did I not eat right? Was I at fault for this miscarriage? And she had those doubts, those fears, those questions. And uh, it's been so, so healing for her to hear about her daughter in heaven through her son that that's probably been uh, some of our greatest blessing. If that was the only thing that Colton brought back from that experience, can you imagine how that has encouraged and will encourage many in the years to come as they hear this story and read this book and hear this book? Well, I think that's why we're convinced that God wants this story to be told, uh, even despite our fears and, and our inadequacies and especially are just being normal people. There's nothing special about us. Uh, but God loves us anyway. He, he performed a miracle for us, and he, he, through our son, told us that he's taking care of our daughter as well. And, and I think for a lot of other parents to have that assurance or be able to gain that hope from our story, um, what a blessing that could be to other people too. Did you hesitate to go public, so to speak, with the story, Todd? In my church, we, we talked about it on a, on a regular basis as Colton would share things. And people would hear me, you know, as they would come into contact with my church people and with my church. Uh, some people in, in, the, in the community would hear about it. I never, um, what shall we say, hid the story from people, but never in my dreams did I ever th- think we'd go as public as writing a book. Yeah, I, I never thought that was coming. Let me explain that you are the pastor of a local church. Where is it located? We're in Imperial, Nebraska, which is kind of in the very southwest corner of Nebraska. If you look at a map and you see where Kansas and Colorado kind of come together, 
at that bottom corner of Nebraska, you'll see that's where Imperial sits. Mm-hmm. So a small town, and you actually uh, have a business. You're bivocational pastor, as they as they call guys like you who who have to work to keep things going. So uh, this is this, as you said, you're just ordinary people, huh? Yeah, and you know, and that's another thing too. Uh, <laughs> we write about this in the book, but even Cassie and Colton. You know, and and even Colby, they still have all those sibling uh, rivalries and things going on. And and uh, Cassie, she uh, suggested a title for the book. Yeah, my brother went to heaven and came back, but he's still no angel. <laughs> and uh, there's probably not a truer statement made than that one. None of us are. <laughs> <laughs> that brings it right back down to earth in a hurry, doesn't it? It does. And, and we want people to know that. I. Um, this is not something that happened because of us, but it happened because God chose to make it happen. And, and our faith has been strengthened, and I know that uh, uh, I sure am grateful for everything that the Bible says. Uh, I believe that my son's stories just reinforce uh, Scripture. I, I don't know, have you ever tried to uh, put a puzzle piece together? Oh, yeah. A puzzle? Oh, sure. You know, when it comes to end times prophecy, and especially stuff about heaven, it seems like we, the Bible's full of scriptures that are kind of like puzzle pieces that you pour out on a, on a table when you get ready to put a puzzle together. The problem is when you flip the Bible over, there's no picture on the front. And, and you try to sit there and you start trying to piece, okay, how does this piece fit to this piece, and how does this piece fit to that one? You know they're a part of the picture, but how do they come together? And uh, Colton's stories that he shared with us has kind of given me a fuller picture. And now I look at it and go, man, I'm starting to understand how all this kind of comes together better now. And I hope some people that read this story kind of have that same appreciation for it because they'll sit there with those aha moments like I have and gone, oh, so that's how this works together and this is how this comes together. And so that's been kind of a neat uh, growth experience, not only for my faith, but for my uh, knowledge about eternity. Well, I know as he shared details of his uh, his, his experience, I mean, wh- what do you say? Did he die? What, how do you describe it? Well, he never flatlined in surgery, but he definitely left his body. You know, at first, I, I struggled with that. I thought a person had to actually flatline in order to leave their body, stop breathing, heart stop beating, but that never happened. The doctors are right there in surgery. Uh, now, Dr. O'Halloran did, did tell us that with a child, vitals are something that are very, very difficult to read. Uh, an adult, vitals will, will slip gradually. But he says when a child's in surgery, you just lose them immediately, instantly. There's no kind of slipping if, they, if they're gone. So he says while you're in surgery with a child, you really don't know where you're at because the vitals will be strong and then they're gone. So as far as him flatlining, that never did happen. But he definitely had to leave his body because he says he could see Dr. O'Halloran working on him and hmm. he can tell us which surgery he was in. And so uh, he never did die, but he definitely left his body and Jesus showed him all kinds of wonderful things. Yeah, and he was in the lap of Jesus. But what I started to say is that as he shared these details, you really haven't found any contradiction with Scripture, have you? I haven't personally. Now, some of my ideas about Scripture have been challenged, Mm -hmm. but as far as Scripture itself, uh, no. The more I've studied, he is, he's he's just right. How do you handle skeptics who just cannot believe this story? Well, you know, I don't know if you you do. Um, For me, uh, I knew when I wrote this book that my 11-year-old was going to read it, that same black and white kid that we talked about earlier. 
And um, as he read the book, I asked him, I said, well, well, son, what did you like best about it? And I was hoping to kind of get more thoughts, you know, to kind of share about it, because my church people, I've been kind of doing a, a series about heaven. I kind of wanted to prepare them for what's coming out in the book before it comes out. And again, he just looked at me and said, Dad, well, what I like best about the book is it was true. That's what happened. And I don't know how you convince a skeptic, but it mattered more to me that my son knew that I wrote the truth. And he's really the only one that can be the judge of what I wrote, because he was there. What we shared and, and his endorsement, if you will, that's all I need. Todd, that's very powerful indeed. How do you reflect on the purpose of all this? I know the full story has not been told. I mean, there's going to be a lifetime, Colton's lifetime of, of experiences here and drawing upon that childhood experience of going to heaven. But what, do you, what glimpses of the purpose in all this do you see? Well, I, I see a lot of people like ourselves, uh, probably just Christians that just need a boost of encouragement to their faith. And I see God using Colton's story just to give them that, just pick-me-up, that encouragement, that, that hope, just kind of light the fire of that, you know. This is real. And I think there's a lot of people when we do funerals, they talk about, well, one day I'm going to see my loved one again. But when they read this book, they're going to know that. It's not a maybe. It's just going to reinforce all that. Um, I think for those that are maybe hopefully uh, seeking God, you know, heaven and God, I think, are uh, very popular topics today in our culture. But what's up for grabs is who is the God of heaven? I mean, which, which God sits on the throne of heaven and what's he like? And I hope some people will have the honesty just to look through the eyes of a four-year-old and as he says, hey, this is God, I met him, this is who he is, we'll, we'll accept that and God can use that for their lives. Well, when that 11-year-old comes home from school today, I hope you give him an extra hug for us. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see if he got his homework done today. <laughs> okay, he he forgot right. his homework last night, and we had to talk about this that this morning. So He may have been to heaven, <laughs> but he's got two feet on earth right now, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still the whole parenting and still working with him. But we, we are grateful to have our son. Yeah. and. Um, and we're still praying for him, and we're still praying for, for all the things that happen next. We don't know. <laughs> but we do pray that God takes this story and, and just uses it for his glory. You know? I know he will, that, that's That's our prayer. Yep. Heaven is for real. Little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. As told by his father, Todd Burpo, with Lynn Vincent. You can hear it now from Oasis Audio. Todd, thank you. God bless you and your whole family. Well, thank you for your time. I sure appreciate it. For Oasis Audio, I'm Wayne Shepherd.